Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Detective Ridiculous, where we talk about the only things more frightening than Warhammer real life. Before we get started, if you would like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash adeptusridiculous, where you can get access to our Discord, bloopers if they happen, fantastic HD posters, all in a beautiful digital form you may keep. Make it a make it a phone wallpaper. God knows what you want to do. Patreon.com slash adeptusridiculous. Ridiculous. Also, uh, remember, it is Black Friday, end of the year Christmas sale right now. So if you spend over $100 redos on the Orchid 8 site, you get 15% off your order. So get it. Grab yourself some Christmas stuff. Get uh, some stocking stuffers, whatever you'd like. It is all available down in the description. And, of course, if you really like the true crime stuff and you want to hear more of it, do make sure to check out the uh, other channel that Shy and DK are uh, working with as well. Uh, Unidentified Signal does its own kind of more true crime slash like uh, mystery solving stuff. So that will also be in the description. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Yeah. It's more everything weird because we on this one, we can only really do like true crime stuff on Unidentified. We can just do anything that's interesting so yeah also i i'm i'm wearing both the just a little blood shirt and and the the hoodie they're great uh, i uh, love oh them. the zip up mm-hmm. yeah dude the zip up was a great addition I, it's super nice that's so nice i love them they're great anyway uh so our art <laughs> did you pack a lunch bricky i i do you know, i got a meeting at noon um that's in three hours are we gonna make time yeah you oh, that bodes so much confidence. Fine, I hope. So, like, here's how it goes. Usually, I write a script for these, right? And the longest one I've ever done was nine pages, right? So, I don't know what our longest episode was, but that's the longest one I remember. This one's twelve. Oh, oh, okay. So, so I'm expecting like maybe an hour and a half, hour forty-five. Yeah, yeah, it it shouldn't go well. It, uh, I'm hoping it doesn't go two hours, but we'll 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 see how it rolls. We'll we'll see. So I won't I won't waste your time. Let's 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 dive right into this one uh, because today yes, we're going to be venturing back into the world of folk heroes. Uh, we're going all the way back to sort of the middle to late 1800s, and we're going to be talking about one of, if not the most notorious folk heroes in Australia's history ned kelly ned kelly oh ned kelly that is the hardest image i have seen is he's got like a wait ned kelly goes hard and (laughs) we'll talk about how crazy that image is because he's man's got the man's got the dark souls helmet and he's ready and he's got the gat this is he, great. He's a badass. Ned Kelly is a certified badass. So this is also going to be one of those episodes where right off the bat, I got to tell people that there is no possible way I can give you every single little detail of what Ned Kelly did. So this is kind of sort of like the condensed greatest hits of Ned Kelly. Um because again, there legitimately there are Kelly historians that I think make a living covering just Ned Kelly's history. Anyway, uh, that's kind of cart before the horse stuff. So let's talk about the Bush Ranger Australian legend, 
That is Ned Kelly. Of course he's Australian. Of and course of, he's Australian. And of course he's a bush ranger. This is of our- course he's a bush. I was I didn't I wasn't sure you'd know what a bush ranger was because that's kind of an Australian slang term. Yeah, a little bit, but like I, you get the the general gist. True, true. I mean, it's you know context would tell you all you need to know. But before we get into like a lot of the important factors, uh, you need to understand uh, how Ned Kelly was shaped, the sort of world that he was born into. Uh, his father was John Red Kelly, uh, and he wasn't exactly the most upstanding man in the eyes of the law. Uh, he was arrested for stealing pigs and was sentenced to seven years in jail in 1841, uh, and he would end up being shipped from Ireland via prison ship to a town called Hobart Town, Van Diemen's Island, which is just what we call Tasmania now. So he's just okay, I was Tasmania. Like, I was like, are you making this up? Because that just doesn't sound real. <laughs> I, that sounds like an 1840s town, to be fair. You know, down in Hobart Town, Van Diemen's... It's, right, that's 1840s. Have you ever seen the, the, the meme of the green text where it's like, like, Lao Min takes power, 247 million perish. Versus like Asian and uh, and or Chinese and <laughs> European history, I have not. Okay, I'm sure Shy has seen it, but oh, it's sure. fine. This is just how he- I imagine with this statement. Anyway, continue. <laughs> and Bricky's had everything is just there's just a meme factory where he's just making analogies, right? But uh, after serving his uh, sentence of seven years for stealing pigs, uh, he would move to Victoria, where he would find work at farms as a bush carpenter, uh, which is like a a farm repairman, builder, that sort of thing. Um, Oh, don't you you worry. Uh, Bush carpenter was my name in college. No, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it definitely wasn't. But I mean, that's a pretty good sex joke. Bush Carpenter, like, that's pretty funny. Yeah, but everybody knows neither of us is getting any action. So, like, come yeah, on. Yeah, well, look come at that. Shy does know the meme. She, Of course she does. She's, of course she does. All right, good. Uh, it's also worth noting that this is all happening around the time of the Australian gold rush. So we're all a little gold hungry and money hungry now, too. Uh, which is actually how he would end up meeting his wife, Ellen Quinn, um, who happened to be the daughter of the man that Red was currently employed by, a man named James Quinn. Uh, he was helping repair their farm and do all sorts of building stuff, and oh, what a pretty daughter you have. Uh, the two would marry on November 18th, 1850 in Melbourne, uh, and then with all the hype surrounding the gold rush and finding gold and making it big, uh, the two would move to a place called Beverage, uh, that was, uh, it's a place a bit north of Melbourne, uh, and they would try their luck at striking a fortune. Isn't it pronounced Melbin or something? Mel- me- what? Melbourne? Uh- Australia? Me- me- isn't I, it Melbourne? I, I thought they pronounced it Melbourne? not like Melbourne. I thought it was pronounced like Melbourne or like 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 Melbourne or something like that. Oh, I don't know. I've always heard Melbourne or Melbourne. Uh, uh, so if I'm saying it wrong, Australia, sorry. Uh, feel free to roast me in the comments, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that's just how I've always heard it pronounced. Fair enough. So if I'm wrong, eh, it won't be the first time and it surely won't be the last time. Uh, But Red Kelly would uh, build a house 
for his family in Beveridge. Uh, and the only reason I mention that, like, oh, he built a house in Beveridge is because, like, to this very day, that house is still standing in Beveridge. Like, you can go to this house right now and and see it like the rusted roof everything is still standing everything is still intact uh, and i think it was purchased by the victorian government in like 2019 to preserve the historical value of ned kelly's childhood home uh so kind of impressive that it's oh. still standing it's still up so ned ned kelly is is this much of a legend that they they bought his home to his childhood make sure home. His childhood in the home make sure nobody forgets about Ned Kelly. Pretty much. This guy is like he like he is an Australian. He, he better live legend. up to he better live up to this because because you're hyping this man up a lot. He, he does a lot of things. Uh, but I digress. Uh, the couple would have eight children together uh one of their girls unfortunately passes away as an infant at only six months old uh but their third child their eldest boy and the reason we're doing this episode was edward kelly but he would always be known as ned uh, and ned's exact oh. birth date Oh, she gave you the Chad oh, picture. Look Ooh. at him. He, he looks like he bartends at an Oregon burger place. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> he does look like an Oregon, like hipster bartender a little he, bit. He needs he? he needs the 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 um the the vest and the and the bow tie <laughs> and the sleeve tattoos. Yes, he, he, he looks like the picture that you would put on like a like a beard grooming um. Uh, oh my god, label. He, he absolutely does exactly. <laughs> I'm. Oh. I think. I think a few beard brands actually do have him as their logo. Not gonna. Lie. I would. I. I mean, he's he's free source. The Australians can't claim him. That's true. That's fair enough. But Ned's exact birth date is unknown because apparently his birth records and like the recording of his baptism were like lost or maybe destroyed or misplaced or whatever. They just can't find him, so they have no idea the exact date he was born. But the speculation is that he was born sometime between, like, December 1854 and, like, June 1855. So, things didn't exactly go great with the whole gold rush thing, and the Kellys really didn't find much success or much wealth. Uh, and they kind of can't afford to live in beverage anymore since they have, you know, seven children so in 1864, when Ned was only about 10 years old, they would move from Beveridge to a place called Avenel. And now we get to kind of sort of the tricky part, um, because 1850s Australia had some really weird, corrupt political stuff going on at the time. And I'm going to try and give you like an abridged version of it, which... May or may not be wrong, because DK trying to explain politics is, oof, that's, that's a rough one. So there are people known as selectors. They are selector families. And they are allowed to kind of like, they're allowed to pick land that the crown would give them, since Australia is kind of like a, a, a British colony at the time. So the crown no. is going to... Yes. No way. Yes way. <laughs> oh no go ahead go ahead no no ahead. i got no go no, no no go i, I, go I got nothing. that's all i you wanted should... to do I, I wanted to make a british colony joke and that's about it 
But yes, at the time, Australia is a British colony, and these selector families are given land, but they are given this land on the condition that they have to better the land somehow. They have to make the land better if they're going to stay there. Only problem with this is that there were already some settlers that had claimed, and I use that term claimed lightly because they actually very illegally took the land and were kind of using it for like their cattle and they were squatters and literally they called themselves squatters and their sort of like union group was known as the I hate saying this because it sounds like I'm gonna it, it sounds like I'm kidding they're called the squatocracy oh that that is that is ripe for like an onion article yeah it is. I, it's they're the squatocracy, and they had become really, really, really wealthy off of their illegally claimed land, which they were using this wealth to drive out selector families and just bribe the ever-loving hell out of the authorities and the police to do basically whatever they wanted. Okay, watch that language. What language? The ever-loving, like, you know, calm down. Oh, well, excuse me. I, <laughs> I, I, I would not want to burn your virgin ears, you know? I'm, uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah I, love, I love Australians a lot because they, they could give a shit about <laughs> things like language. And <laughs> oh, the, yeah. <laughs> it, it, is, it is unfortunate that they cannot use their favorite word on YouTube, but it is... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, their favorite slang word is a word that will basically get you canceled in America. <laughs> Not, not ironically, it's not canceled. I was I remember hearing this specifically from YouTube. If you use that that the c word one time in any video, it is immediate demonetization. Like wow, immediate? It, it just just one one use gone. The entire video is gone. We we experienced that ourselves. Yeah, I, I think I used it in a uh, in a video oh, with Kirioff, and it was just like gone. And then I found out. Dang. Yeah. This, this, see, right. first it was the British. Now it's the Americans that are uh, prejudiced against against the Australians. Yep. But the reason I mention this like weird sort of political tug of war between like the crown, the selectors, and the squatocracy is because the Kelly family were a selector family, or rather, the Quins were a selector family, and Red married into that. So now, not only is Red Kelly and his family on kind of the shit list for his past criminal days, uh, but also he's a selector. And so the local police are being bribed to hate him. And it's not like they needed any help because, again, he has a criminal past. So it's ooh. so Ned is growing up in a world where the police are pretty harsh, corrupt and pretty unfair against his family. And to be fair, Red Kelly kind of didn't do himself any favors because he became a terrible drunk and already had a history of crime. Um, and it would also be around this time that Ned Kelly would start to mm, kind of gain some notoriety of his own. Uh, because when he was just 11 years old, he would save a young boy named Richard Shelton uh, from drowning in a creek called Hughes Creek. Man, I played a video game about that. It was called Heavy Rain. 
I, I've never played Heavy Rain. I don't know if that's like a if that's actually is that is you actually sh- say sh- the kid from Drowning in a Creek in Heavy Rain? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Okay. Sh- and Shy knows the reference. It's fine. Oh, I've it's fine. seen little clips of of Heavy Rain, and he's like trying to save his kid, and and he might Jason. Uh, he, he might have like a multiple personality disorder or something, yeah, and he might yeah, be doing there, it to himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it, a streamer nice. playing that. I didn't yeah. see the end of it though. Heavy Rain was was a great time. It doesn't hold up as well as it used to, but yeah, it was a great time. All right, continue. Okay. And for saving their son, Richard's parents, who were the owners of Avenel's Royal Mail Hotel, uh, presented Ned with this just gorgeous green sash made of silk and lined with like this gold colored fabric and the reason i mention this is because ned gets a little famous from that and he treasures this sash for the rest of his life this is a prized possession of ned kelly's and uh during the 1865-1866 area, uh Ned's father Red Kelly would have a really rough time at just life in general. Um they weren't really making much money due to their selected land not being the greatest for farming and cultivation. And because they weren't really making any money doing the farming and the cultivating, Red kind of fell back into his old ways, and he started doing shady stuff again. Uh, I've seen reports saying that he was stealing meat, stealing hides, stealing cattle, stealing calves, disorderly drunkenness. Uh, it, It wasn't a great time for old Red Kelly. Ned's dad was not having a good time. And in 1866, his dad was arrested and sentenced to six months hard labor, uh, or he was ordered to pay a fine of like 25 pounds, which 25 pounds doesn't sound like a lot, but apparently in the 1800s, that's about $3,700. Oh, crap. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That kind of sucks. Wait, is it, is it the with the fine he has to do the hard labor, or is it a hard labor or fine? Hard labor or fine. Damn, And okay. uh, since Red doesn't have a lot of money, since the Kelly family, not a lot of money, he kind of has to just hunker down and do the time and do the labor. And after being released, Red Kelly still not in the best of health. Uh, most sources I've seen said that Red Kelly basically just kind of drank himself to death. Um, oh, because- lovely. Yeah, he basically just drinks himself to death because, you know, after everything that happened, he's poor, uh, he's a thief, he's an outlaw, uh, the police hate him, he's coming out of jail, still no money, still the police hate him, still people are trying to get him off his land. He, <laughs> he just becomes a crippling alcoholic. Uh, I've also seen some sources say that he was also dying from something called dropsy, uh, which I looked it up, and it seems like dropsy is, like, really bad swelling due to, like, fluid retention, but it also yeah. seems to coincide with heart failure. Oh, oh, okay. Well, you know, um... I was gonna say, do you know, have you heard of dropsy? Because you used to... Was uh, that a- not, not, I was, I wasn't, like, like a like a doctor or anything like right 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 i think i remember hearing a little like like there was like a little footnote or something but um i i think if anything 
him drinking himself to death would lead to that type of stuff. Yeah, the fluid retention and the, yeah, yeah, and the swelling, sure, sure. I'm sure him just going on a massive drinking bender probably did not help. No. And uh, according to one source I found, at the time, there was really no way to cure dropsy. There's nothing they could really do. And so Red Kelly would just kind of pass away on December 27th, 1866, when Ned Kelly was only 12 years old. Damn, kid saves this guy from drowning and then then his dad dies. And he's like, yeah, karma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And the Kellys would uh, have to move to Greta where they could be closer to Ellen Quinn's family. And Greta, when I looked at a map, it kind of looks like it's in northeastern-ish Australia. Just if anybody wanted to know where Greta was, sort of. And uh, up until this point, our episode has basically been, hey, look at Ned's parents. Hey, look at politically corrupt Australia, where Ned is being raised. But now that his father, Red, has passed away, Ned really had no choice but to grow up way faster than any 12-year-old boy should. Yeah, I mean, don't you grow up, like, like isn't 12-year-old kind of, like, 17 kind of at that time frame, though? Because you died a lot sooner, and so you kind of had to get yourself together. I mean, I guess in the 1800s, that's true. Like, it's probably not uncommon that a parent or parents would die when their kids were a fairly young age. Because it's the 1800s, like... You know, well, you, okay. you get the flu and they can't cure that. So. Right. I, I might be thinking of like the seventh, the fifteen hundreds more so, I guess, because then then you like you you like married and had a kid at like sixteen and you were like king yeah. by twenty and then you died yeah. at thirty. Yeah, All but right. that was back when it was like, oh no, I got a cut on my leg. I guess I'll just die because we don't have basic oh, medicine okay. and the infection is going to kill me. I've got tetanus. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no tetanus shots. So yeah, yeah, fair true. enough. Fair enough. But he was the eldest son of the Kelly family now, and that made him the man of the house. He was expected to provide for the family and get them through this crazy financial trouble that they were in. And that has got to be a crippling burden for a 12-year-old whose dad just passed away has to endure. I mean, even in the times, that's got to be like, oh, God, what do I do? And Uh, the world kind of hates me and my family, and oh, boy, oh, God. So Ned kind of feels like he has to fall into a life of crime, much like dear old dad. Um, It's the only way he could really support the family and bring home the bacon. Uh, Specifically, he would start to follow in the footsteps of a well-known bushranger named Harry Powers, uh, who would take Ned under his wing and be... Stop, DK. What? 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 That's his name! It's it's such a Simpsons name. (laughs) I tried to power past that because I was like, he's going to say something. I got to just keep talking. Yeah, I am. (laughs) I tried. But not just the Harry Powers thing. It's another beard commercial, man. He well, I mean, isn't although I guess to be fair, every beard brand probably uses basically a pseudo eighteen hundreds outlaw dude. That's like the logo, right? I know you. You are right. Yeah, that, that is true. But goddamn, it. I mean, it is a magnificent beard, though. So. Harry Power, it's Harry. No, it needs to be Harry Power, as in like, 
the to to like you know it's like spelled like Harry, so it's the it's the new brand. It's Harry Power uh, beard cleaning products. <laughs> power wash your beard with the Harry Power beard wash. Yeah, you'll cool. never be as strong as Ned Kelly, but you can look like him. <laughs> but you can have a beard that's just as good. Anyway, so Harry Power takes Ned under his wing to be sort of this outlaw mentor to Ned. And uh, by the way, Bush Ranger is kind of the Australian term for like a, an outlaw who hides and operates in the bushes, a convict on the run from the law. But you already knew that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of it's it's the Australian Ronin. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah sure sure it is basically yeah yeah i i hate myself for that comparison yes uh, you know it is what it is what it is uh and with how corrupt the police were at the time bush rangers actually had a staggering amount of sympathizers who would like give them general aid shelter food whatever support they needed and they could give uh, which would probably also explain Ned's fondness for fondness for the lifestyle of bush ranging. Uh, I don't know if that's how you say it. Is that is that a proper verb? The, I'm bush ranging. I'm a bush ranger, and I bush range. I don't think that. I mean, works, I bush ranged a lot in college. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. No, you didn't. I didn't either. But that's okay. Don't 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 lie about it though. Uh, but the, the Bush Rangers were fighting the man and taking it to the corruption of the police who imprisoned and crippled his father. Uh, they were the corruption that made it so difficult for Ned and his family to have a stable, normal life. Of course, Ned was going to take to the life of a Bush Ranger, especially at such a, like a young, impressionable age, too. And when Ned was around 14 or 15, he would have his first real brush with the law. Uh, he was arrested and charged with assaulting a Chinese merchant. And from what I've read... Uh, what Was it because he was Chinese or was he just like, I'm stealing your stuff? Um, so let's talk about it. So from what I've read, the merchant claimed that Ned Kelly came up to him with a large stick, declaring that he was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a bush ranger. I'm a badass. Ooh, look at me. I'm bush ranging. Uh, before he just started to beat the Chinese merchant with the stick and robbed him of, of a bunch of his money. Okay. Okay. So okay. So he was being a thief. All right. I thought. I thought he. When you said when the way you said Chinese merchant, I was like, oh no. Is Ned Kelly like about attack this man because no. of problem like that stuff? It is the 1800s, so it's not like that would have been completely uncommon to. No, so. probably not. But Ned claims that that's not what happened at all. The way Ned tells the story is very, very different. Uh, the way Ned tells the story is that he was actually coming to the aid of his sister, Annie. Uh, apparently, the Chinese merchant had asked Ned's sister for a drink of water, which she gave him, no problem. Uh, after getting the water, the merchant apparently started to, like, yell at her and use... <clears throat> abusive language and like raised a fist at her and was like oh i'm gonna beat you up uh which caused her to run inside her house and after seeing the horrible way that this merchant was treating his sister ned was like uh-uh and just starts to beat the merchant silly with his big ass stick so so he he was stopping domestic violence in his story yes 
And in the merchant story, he was just, you know, trying to assert dominance by beating the ever-loving hell uh, out of a merchant for no reason other than to take his money. Ironically, I feel like both answers are still re- reasons to think that Ned Kelly is a baller because <laughs> I, the idea of him just being like, damn, give me your money and then beats him with a stick is kind of yeah. funny. <laughs> and then also it's like, hey, he's also defending his sister. So either way, he's he's an All outlaw. Right. He's current. He's currently he's currently uh, stacking the deck in his hands. Yeah. Uh, but Ned's sister and a few of their <clears throat> family friends had testified in favor of Ned's side of the story, while the Chinese merchant couldn't provide any hard evidence or witnesses, so Ned wasn't charged with any sort of crime. And to sort of interject in the story for a second this is going to be how a lot of the history of ned kelly is going to go there are going to be times where like oh here's ned kelly's uh perspective on what happened and then there's going to be a perspective from like oh but here's what the corrupt police said happened and you know you're gonna have to like walk this fine line of like who do you want to trust here like you've got the account of a bush ranger outlaw criminal who you know isn't exactly trustworthy, but on the other side, you have super, absolutely, disgustingly corrupt police that are also very untrustworthy. So, mentally, you kind of got to figure out, like, who exactly do I want to trust? Are either of them right? Is it somewhere in the middle? But the relationship between Harry Power and Ned Kelly would also sour over time. I mean, they were a known Bush Ranger team that even the local papers were talking about. Like, there were articles about how, unless somebody gets in Ned's ear, then, oh man, Harry Power's going to drag him into a life of crime, and he'll never be saved, and he'll just, he'll become a ruffian outlaw. And the two were committing crimes, robberies, and stuff like that all over the place. Uh, But Ned could never positively be identified. Like, he would get taken in a few times because he fit the description of an eyewitness, but nothing would ever stick. He was just sort of Harry Powers' mysterious helper type of guy. Um, But things would take a bit of a turn in June of 1870 when Harry Power would be arrested by a police search party that just happened to know where he was hiding out. Common theory at the time was that Ned Kelly had actually betrayed Harry Power and given up where he was hiding. But why? What's the other theory? Well... Uh, people assumed that Ned Kelly, his star outlaw pupil, uh, would give up his mentor because they also knew that Ned had been arrested a bunch of times. And, you know, like we said, it somehow it never stuck and they could never get someone to, you know, pin him down. And he always somehow went free. What if Ned Kelly had given the police information so that they would just let him go. And that's why they could never pin him down, because it was like, oh, if you let me go, I'll help you out with Harry Power. I'll tell you where he's hiding. I know where he sleeps. As it turned out, uh, the person that snitched on Harry Power wasn't Ned, but it was actually Ned's uncle, a man by the name of Jack Lloyd, who had done the deed for 500 
pounds, which again does not oh, sound. Man. No, no, no. That that's well. What is that? Like like forty grand or something? That is seventy five thousand dollars. Yeah, by today's currency. Yeah, I'd snitch. Yeah, seventy five thousand big ones, and it's like, well, he's going to jail for six years. I can. I can get out of Dodge with 75 grand by then. Sure. sure he can make sure. his way to the Americas, live a nice life for a long time. Yeah. Well, Shy just said she would sell me out for 70 grand. Really, Shy? I'd say After yeah, all half. we've been through? Ah. I, I, I am hurt. Shy, Shy, don't you dare. I would sell, I'll sell him out for 60. Pick me. Whoa, wait a minute. Oh, well, fine. I would, I would sell you both out for a McDonald's Happy Meal. So I'd sell you out for replica thorn. Well, I, I, but I have a replica. Th- that's not nice. That's I'd happy meals worse though. And, and steal your replica thorn. Oh well, see now that you would sell me out because you want my replica thorn. There you go. There you go. It's the only good thing I ever got from Destiny was that replica thorn. Still got favorite it. gun in Destiny. Still it, absolutely. It hurt. Anyway. It hurts so much more now. <laughs> it's oh boy oh uh, yeah yeah hey hi you looking forward to destiny 3 anyway so i want to yeah, tell so- <laughs> i want to tell one more instance of ned kelly getting into dr- trouble because i actually found it kind of comical so ned is a pretty notorious bush ranger outlaw at this point like he's in and out of prison and he is i'm living the life right he's living the life but a horse tamer, a friend of his named Will Wright, uh, well, his name is Isaiah, um, but his nickname is Wild, so we're going to call him Wild Wright, because uh, it sounds cool. But his friend Wild Wright uh, lets him borrow a horse, a mare, um, and if you were wondering, they knew each other because uh, Wright's kind of like a friend of a friend to Kelly, Um they were both friends with a man named Alex Gunn. Alex Gunn is going to marry one of Ned's sisters, so th- they're acquaintances. That's how they know each other. Um, but anyway, so Ned is riding around on this borrowed mare without a care in the world. Just, hooray, this is a very nice horse. It's a very uniquely colored horse. Hooray, good for me. When a constable, which is basically like, you know, a sheriff type person, a uh, constable by the name of Edward Hall sees him. And Edward Hall is fairly sure that the mare that Ned Kelly is riding is actually a stolen horse. It's the it's the horse that Wild Wright stole because, like I said, it has this distinctive pattern to it. I think it's like chestnut colored with like a docked off tail, and it had like this really unique patch of white on its chest. Um, so he's fairly sure that's the one. Uh, and uh, in Wild Wright, in his defense, was like, "Oh, I didn't steal it. I simply." Borrowed it without asking. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. I, I did that once to the IRS, and they didn't take yeah. it particularly funny. Yeah, somehow they did. They were just like, "Yeah, that's the same thing." I was like, "What? I borrowed it without asking. It's totally different and not illegal." So Edward Hall convinces Ned to, you know, hey, pull over. I, I got to talk to you about something. You know, something fairly innocent like that. He just, he wants to get Ned off of that horse. So Ned's like, all right, cool. You know, let me just get off my horse here for a second. And Hall tries to immediately grab him by force and take him to the ground and arrest him. 
But Ned's a pretty strong dude, and he was able to resist. Uh, several sources I've seen said that Hall tried to pull a pistol on Ned and shoot him, but by some miracle, or maybe just Hall doesn't know how to maintain his gun, his gun misfired three times in a row. What's three the, times in a row this thing misfires. What's the scene of Pulp Fiction? When he shoots oh. all the shots and he just misses? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a coming to God moment, right? That's a miracle. Yeah, God damn it. Hey, don't, don't blaspheme me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Love that. Movie, uh, movie's great. Continue. Yeah. Uh, I've also seen uh, a couple sources say that, you know, when uh, the misfire happened, uh, you know, Ned kind of starts, you know, getting into a fight with him and he mounts him and like literally digs the spurs on his heels into Edward Hall's guts like he's riding a horse and just spurs him in the gut uh, with with these spurs. Um, And it wasn't until like, I think seven other people. Uh, showed up and and had to help Edward Hall get Ned off of him and actually subdue uh, Ned Kelly. Uh, at which point, with the help of seven other people, uh, Edward Hall, since his pistol wouldn't fire right, decides that, you know what, Ned, I am just going to pistol whip the ever-loving God out of you. Like, no joke, he goes to town on Ned, and apparently it is this bloody affair that just left Ned a bloody heaping mess just absolutely shrucked if you will uh, even though they determined in court that Ned couldn't have stolen this horse it couldn't happen because he was actually he was in jail uh, when the horse had initially been stolen uh, they still gave him three years of hard labor forget this <clears throat> feloniously receiving a horse feloniously what a a term he he was given three years hard labor for feloniously receiving a horse yeah three years three years he has a history too i guess so maybe they want to just really drive it home that hey buddy we know about you and wild right the person who borrowed the horse was only sentenced to eighteen months. What the hell? Wait, I know, but like eighteen. But like, he's the one that stole the horse. But Ned's dad uh, got like six months for um, crap. What did he get six months for again? Oh yeah, for uh, what was it? Stealing pigs, cattle, hides, yeah, uh, and, and just being like, disorderly drunk. Okay, well, like he stole he stole that crap, but he steals one horse and he gets six times the sentence to be fair again that's probably has a lot to do with the sort of really weird corrupt political police force too right where they're just like there's there's no consistency they're they're case to case making the rules as they go right so they're probably just like oh it's ned kelly oh we've been trying to get this jerk for a while let's really stick it to him this guy stole a horse i don't really know you whatever 18 months i guess I guess that's fair. Well, it's yeah. not fair, but I guess that's true. Oh, it's far from fair. Uh, also, this would be around April of 1871. So, uh, that story already pretty great. But, 
gets better. When Ned was released on February 2nd, 1874, which, if you can believe this, he was released early due to good behavior. But he still had some beef to settle with old Wild Wright. Uh, the way I heard the story, uh, it goes a little something like this. Uh, Ned was apparently having a drink at a place called the Imperial Hotel in Beechworth, which is actually still standing today. And old Wild Wright strode in. Ned Kelly then did what any good 1800s man with a score to settle would do. He challenged him to a bare-knuckle boxing match out back of the hotel. Damn it, I was hoping it would be a duel. I guess it's still, uh, in a sense, kind of a duel, but not the duel I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for 20 rounds, Ned proceeded to give Wild Wright what he called the beating of his life. For, wait, for 20 rounds? For 20 rounds, Ned beat the shit out of Wild Wright. So... It's it was so I don't know if a round because a, a round is like three minutes in today's boxing. I don't know if it's like two, cause, but also like amateur boxing was two minutes and stuff. So I don't know how many rounds, but to think the, the possibility <laughs> if it was three rounds, he took him for over an hour to just beat the shit out of him is hilarious. He, he took him to the shed. He took him to the shed. He took and, him to the cleaners. Yeah. And there is this absolutely great photo you can see of Ned's standing in an old-timey boxing pose after his victory over Wild, right? Doesn't look like he even broke a sweat. You know, he's like, oh, put up your dukes. Like, oh, it's, it's just it's just great. Look at look at that man. Look at look at how God, I, I, I love I love how like it's how, all beard advertisement. It's all beard advertisement, but I, I also just love how every every guy from back then looks like they were built like a fridge. You know, because it was all about like like food and hard labor. No one was yep. trying to get lean or anything. So everyone nope. was just like built like They're a They're trying cylinder. to get stacked. Yeah. 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 It's great. And apparently Ned did indeed beat some sense into Wild Wright because after the fight, Wild Wright becomes one of Ned's most loyal and adamant supporters and sympathizers. He did not want to cross Ned again. <laughs> It only took him. I, I wonder if, like, after round four, <laughs> while Wright was like, uh, all right, fine, fine. But Ned was like, I just don't believe you. And he took another 16 rounds. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to knock you out yet. Boom, boom. And he's just, oh, man. He must have gotten just, whew. Uh, he Shrey wasn't thinking after straight that, after that. Shai says after that one fight, Ned was declared the unofficial boxing champion of the <laughs> district. Yes, he was. I, I, I did see that, and I forgot to put, yes, he was indeed the boxing champion of the district after absolutely whooping old Wild Wright. Now, to kind of speed things up a little bit, uh, Ned would go on to try and make an honest attempt to be a law-abiding citizen. Even got an honest job at a sawmill, uh, tried to make an honest wage as just like a general builder, kind of like what his dad did, you know, as a, as, a, as a bush builder type of guy. But apparently the police just wouldn't leave him alone and were pretty constant with their like harassment of him and just jabbing and poking at him so much so that he would claim that the only reason he returned to becoming a bush ranger outlaw the only reason he returned to a life of crime was because of just how unfair uh, the treatment he got from the police was 
Ah, again, so he, he was like, law-abiding doesn't matter when the, the law is being um, served by these guys? Yep, pretty much. Mm. But again, much like his dad, he didn't exactly make life easy for himself either, because like he was getting ridiculously drunk on the regular, and he was starting brawls, he was starting... He was so not only was he just starting like drunken brawls with like uh you know patrons and stuff. He was starting drunken brawls with the police. So he was constantly getting drunk and like getting into brawls with the police officers that were unfairly harassing him. So he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't completely blameless. No, no, but it, considering how the policemen have been acting True. It's not unheard of that he would get drunk and want to just throw down with the police either. But again, it's not like he was, you know, he wasn't he wasn't making it easy. Sure. Anyway, uh, he would actually join up with his stepfather, George King, and his own brother, Dan Kelly, uh, to start stealing horses with a gang known as the Greta Mob. And the Greta Mob was known for their, um, so most places say the Greta Mob is known for their flash style of fashion, which I'd assume was a term used because they wore like flashy, bright colors. They had like these red sashes that they used, and they just generally tried to stand out in a crowd. Uh, apparently, they were known for wearing boots with something called uh, Larrikin heels on them, which kind of just look like boots with like high heels <laughs> what? on them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that they wore the red sash, they were fancy clothes and and those heels on their shoes. That's apparently a Larrikin heel. So so uh, two things. One, unfortunate that it's all in in lack of color so we can't really yeah. necessarily know. But two, yeah. look at that second dude's eyes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look at that thousand yard stare he's yeah, got right he there. He is not there. He oh is somewhere goodness. else. It's like, where'd he, you go, buddy? Where, 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 where have you gone? He's like the the camera has to take seven minutes to charge up, so he's been standing and holding that pose the whole time, and he's just <laughs> missing. He's just frozen. Yeah. Uh, they also some of them had this really stupid looking tradition of wearing the chin strap of their hat under their nose, and it looks so dumb to me, but. It's it's the 1800s. Like, what do I know? Uh, and obviously, since they were horse thieves, uh, they would love nothing more than to flaunt their horse riding skills at really any given opportunity. So one of the Greta mob sales of stolen horses uh, kind of goes south. And the police are now on to what the Kelly family are doing with the Greta mob. Um, like they've arrested a few of their accomplices and they're closing in fast on uh, Ned and his younger brother. So much so that they have a proper arrest warrant uh, being written up for Ned's younger brother, Dan, specifically for horse theft. Theft. Uh, and there is a constable who goes by the name of Fitzpatrick, who, after reading that there was a warrant that was being written up for Dan, decided, you know what, I should take myself to the Kelly's home in Greta and make the arrest myself. You know, get ahead of the warrant and, you know, make a name for myself. Look at all that helmet. Yeah, look at that helmet. Look that's that's old it. Constable Fitzpatrick. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. It should be noted that Constable Fitzpatrick was a corrupt 
piece of police officer that was generally disliked by all who knew him. But this I, I is mean, how I, I was going to say. If you look at him, it's like, yeah, he looks like a piece of shit. I, you know, you know, I, I'm looking at the hat, and I'm wondering if like grows like Pinocchio every time he <laughs> is more corrupt. The hat just gets a little taller. I hope so. that hat is not tall enough yet. It is not. But this is how Constable Fitzpatrick claims the events of the night of April fifteenth, eighteen seventy eight, went when he tried to arrest Dan. So. Constable Fitzpatrick rides out to the Kelly home, only to find Dan and Ned's mother at home. So, he politely sits and talks with their mother for a little while, making small talk, you know, how are you doing, oh, you know, until Dan finally makes his way back home with his brother-in-law, Bill Skilling. So, Fitzpatrick is going to make the arrest, and... You know, as he's making, he's like, oh, Dan, I'm, I'm bringing you in for, for horse theft, and, and I've got a warrant, and uh, all that stuff. And Dan's like, you know, I've had a long day, Constable. Um, I haven't really eaten yet, so before you take me in, can I have dinner first? Can you let me have dinner before you take me in? And the Constable's like, yeah, sure, have some dinner first. Why not? You know what? I'll even join you for dinner before I lock you up for however long. And as they were having dinner, Ned Kelly returns home, and he comes into that house literally guns blazing. Like, I don't know if he had a sixth sense, saw the lawman through the window, saw the horse, maybe a neighbor or sympathizer tipped him off. But anyway, he starts blasting. His initial shots missed, uh, but in, in the now struggle between Ned and Constable trying to, like, dodge bullets and stuff, uh, his mother absolutely clobbers Constable Fitzpatrick over the head with a shovel. Let's go. That's fantastic. <laughs> Just bam! And Ned manages to land a shot on the constable's wrist, and he just... Uh, the brother-in-law, Bill Skilling, and neighbor, uh, and their neighbor by the name of Will, I think his name is William Williamson, which is such an 1800s name, uh, having heard the gunshot, rush in to help Ned uh, restrain and disarm the constable. Uh, they dig the bullet out of his wrist with a knife, and they let him go with a stern warning that if he tells anyone what happened here today, ooh, we're going to find you, and we're going to finish the job. Now, according to Ned, this is his account of what happened that night. There's Ned a lot, says, there's, there's a lot of, lot of like, uh, according to Ned situations in mm -hmm. this one. There is, there is. But according to Ned, he wasn't even home that night. Like, the way he tells it, he was some 200 miles away from home at, at the time. And the way he tells it, so... The constable shows up at the house and does attempt to arrest Dan. A lot of that is the same. It's like, oh, hey, Dan, I'm going to arrest you. And Dan's like, oh, man, come on. It's been a long day. Let me have dinner first. All that's basically the same. But where things start to differ is because at some point, uh, Fitzpatrick tells the mother, like, hey, I'm here to arrest your kid, and I have a warrant for his arrest. And Dan's mother is like, you have a warrant? Well, I want to see the warrant. Let me see your arrest warrant, because that's what you're basing all this on. And Fitzpatrick was like, well, <laughs> I wouldn't say I physically have an arrest warrant, but I have a telegram saying one's being written up for him. 
Uh, so Dan's mother's like, so you got nothing on my kid. You got nothing. And he doesn't have to go with you if he doesn't want to. So you can promptly fuck off. And apparently this made the constable so upset that he drew his pistol on Dan and Ned's mother and threatened to blow her brains out if she kept interfering. And and, and the, uh, okay, and then he got a bonk. Nice. <laughs> Well, after that, Dan and his mother made sort of this big show of being like, yeah, well, if Ned were here, you'd be too much of a bitch to even pull out your gun because you know he'd school you. And then Dan proceeds to pull the oldest trick in the book. He looks out the window and is like, whoa, here comes Ned, constable. Oh, he's going to get you. And the constable fell for it, gets distracted looking out the window. Dan wrestles the gun away from him, empties it, and kicks the constable out of his house with no real violence used against him. That's, that is, I can't believe he fell for that. The, he fell for it. I mean, look the, at the guy. I could believe that this doughboy could fall I, for it. I mean, st- corrupt, and st- corrupt doesn't always mean stupid. True. But goddamn. True, true. But that's Ned's side of the story. And, well, actually, that's Dan's side of the story that he told to Ned because Ned wasn't even there, apparently. And as you can imagine, the authorities took Constable Fitzpatrick's word over the Kellys because, of course, they did. A 100-pound reward was put on Ned's head uh, because he was nowhere to be found. But also, his mother was arrested. His stepbrother was was arrested, and so was the neighbor who uh, supposedly helped restrain him. Uh, Bill and the neighbor were sentenced to a whopping six years of hard labor, and the elderly mother of Dan and Ned, who was actually nursing another child, uh, was sentenced to three years hard labor for aiding and abetting the attempted murder of Fitzpatrick which the general public was not a big fan of. They were like, this little old lady's being sentenced to hard labor? Y'all, we thought you were corrupt, but this is crazy. So Wait, uh, six years of hard labor for which people again? So this is Bill Skilling, which is the brother-in-law, I believe, and Will Williamson, who was the neighbor. Uh, These two rushed in and helped Ned uh, disarm and restrain Fitzpatrick, according Ah. to Fitzpatrick. Right. So so the uh, so so they got six years hard labor for interfering with like a police officer, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And the mother was sentenced to three years. Little old lady that's nursing it three years. You know, but, I, I'm, I'm starting to feel like this is just a fuck the police story, but like the Australian version. Yeah, specifically the Victorian police. Yeah, they're yeah. they they don't come out looking very good. So the brothers Dan and Ned were on the run as proper fugitives of the law now. Like we've gone from, you know, some petty theft, stealing horses and cattle to uh oh, attempted murder of a police officer. While they were on the run, uh, they would be joined by men named Steve Hart and Joe Byrne, who were close friends and members of the Greta, the Greta mob with the Kelly brothers. And I think Joe Byrne was actually like one of Ned's like closest friends. They were like thick as thieves, as one might say. 
at this point, uh, they weren't really the Greta mob anymore. They weren't really running with them. They were on their own. So they were more known as the Kelly gang. They're the Kelly gang because Ned is kind of like the big bad ringleader at this point. He's got his brother with him. He's got his really close friends with him, too. So it's a catchy name for a catchy group. Now, the Kelly gang decided they needed they needed to make some quick cash because they, they wanted to try to appeal this ridiculous sentence that their mother got. So they start heading to a place called Bullock Creek, which is, uh, when I looked at it on, on a map, it looked like it was kind of like maybe the middle of Australia, maybe southern middle of Australia, maybe a bit north of Melbourne. And here... Uh, they would attempt to make a whiskey distillery in order to, you know, earn the necessary funds to appeal uh, the sentence. But they were also aided by local sympathizers as well, because like I said, everybody's like, oh, Bush Rangers, you guys are fighting those jerk police officers and like the government. Oh, man, please, 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 please take take our aid, take our sympathies. We're, we're going to help you out with whatever we can, rations, supplies. But most importantly, the best thing that these sympathizers offered the Kelly gang was information. Information like that oh, I don't know, that the police knew and had information that the Kelly gang were based in Bullet Creek now, and they were actually sending mounted police officers to try to ambush one of their campsite hideouts at an infamous place called Stringy Bark Creek. Stringy Bark Creek. Stringy Bark Creek. All right. So, after the Kelly sympathizers passed this information along to the Kelly gang, Ned was like, you know what, let me, let me ride around the area. This is good information, and I want to see if maybe I can figure out where they are. See if I can, you know, get some tracks and see where they are. And he does. He finds the tracks that the mounted police force left, and he follows it all the way to their camp. So, there are uh, four officers that were sent to try and get the Kelly gang and two of them were out on patrol looking for the Kellys and little did they know after they left the Kelly gang would jump up and ambush the remaining two officers at the camp and what happens next is a little up for debate because again conflicting reports from the Kelly gang and conflicting reports from corrupt police officers so according to the Kelly gang, they sort of jump out of the bush and they told the two officers to surrender, drop your weapons, freeze. One of the officers, a man named McIntyre, did surrender police peacefully, while the other officer named Lonigan was shot and killed. And it should be noted that uh, Officer Lonigan and Ned had a little history with each other. So when Ned was younger... Uh, he was being, you know, arrested and he was being subdued, but he was, he was putting up this crazy fight, you know, like he just would not be restrained, would not be restrained. And it took three officers just really working hard to subdue him and all this stuff. And, uh, Lonigan was one of the officers that was trying to restrain him. And Ned Kelly himself explained it like this. Finding me a more difficult man to manage than they expected, Lonigan seized me in such a manner, a cruel, cowardly, and disgusting manner, that he inflicted terrible pain on me. In order to subdue Ned Kelly, Lonigan had, uh, 
had vice gripped his balls to bring him to uh to the ground. ah ah the the inspector gadget um method yes <laughs> <laughs> he gripped him by the manhood. And after this encounter, Ned had this really infamous quote towards Lonigan saying, I've never shot a man, but if I do, so help me God, you'll be the first. All right. That's pretty good. That's 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 a solid. Uh, uh, that's a solid quote, right? That's a pretty solid quote. Yeah. And that quote would come to fruition because Ned Kelly did in fact shoot and kill Lonigan dead that day. And that would be the first man that Ned Kelly shot. The only hey, real good for Ned Kelly. Yeah. I think. He was, he was <laughs> a question mark. Yeah, congratulations on the murder. Con- yeah, congrats, I guess. Yeah. The only real dispute is if Lonigan was shot in cold blood or in self-defense. Ned claims that Lonigan had like dove behind cover and he was like poking his head out trying to shoot Ned. And McIntyre claims that Lonigan was shot dead just as he was making a motion to unholster his pistol. So you've got one side saying, whoa, it was self-defense. He was shooting at me. And the other was like, yeah, he gunned him down before he could even defend himself. So, I mean, based on on what if if we're taking Ned's side of the story, I think gunning him down in cold blood isn't like the worst thing he could have done. No, but in the eyes of the jury, it's like, well, did you (laughs) is it a crime or not? Oh, true. The, the, The jury is the bigger issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ned kind of justified, but yeah, the law might not see it that way. So, uh, McIntyre is subdued. He surrendered peacefully. And Lonigan is, well, dead. Uh, so the Kelly gang resets the ambush. Uh, they ransack the police weapons, and now they're gonna, they're gonna ambush the other two officers that are out looking for them. Uh, two guys named Kennedy and Scanlan. Uh, so those two come back to the camp. And much like the first ambush, the Kelly gang springs up and is like, hey, surrender, drop your weapons. Uh, we've already taken out uh, your buddies over there, and and the other one's dead. And McIntyre's like, yeah, listen to him. Hey, stop, stop. Uh, but Kennedy and Scanlan are just like, no, no, no. And they try to arm themselves and fight back against the Kelly gang ambush. Again, the debate here is uh, one of cold-blooded murder, or was it maybe self-defense? Because the police party claims that Scanlan never even had a chance to get his rifle off his horse. Like, he may have been going for it, but he didn't even get it off the horse before Ned just gunned his ass down. Uh, But the Kelly gang gang claimed that Scanlan took, like, multiple shots, specifically aiming at Ned, before Ned retaliated and gunned him down. It seems like a lot of the times Ned's being shot at. uh, Sure does. He's getting shot at by, like, other people that probably... It's probably like, oh, I believe the Ned story, so he's cool. Or I believe the cop story, so I'm going to shoot him on sight. Uh, yeah, it seems he, like a lot of the, the cops obviously would believe the cop story, so he's, like, yeah. dangerous. So he, he's armed and dangerous. Shoot on sight. Don't give him a chance or he's going to gun you down. Yeah, yeah. And Kennedy, well, Kennedy took a shotgun shell right to the chest. 
when he was trying to run away from Ned. Uh, apparently he's like running away from Ned and Ned kind of has him cornered against like a tree and he's got his back to Ned. And so the officer's like, well, shoot, he's got me. And he, he drops his pistol, but Ned doesn't see him drop his pistol. And he like swings around really quick to put his arms up. But uh, Ned didn't realize <laughs> that he dropped his pistol. So Ned's like, oh, he's swinging around to shoot me and just boom, blows him out of the water with a shotgun. <laughs> Is that the story of Ned or is that the story of the cops? Um, I think I think that was Ned's side of it, actually. OK, because like because, yeah, because, you know, it depends. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one could also depend. Sure. And in all the commotion, because McIntyre was unarmed and not a threat, uh, he was actually able to get on one of the horses and flee the scene. Uh, and when he fleed the scene, he would report to the authorities that, of course, the Kelly gang had just killed three other officers in cold blood. Self-defense, no way. It was cold blood. Which, as you might imagine, news of this caused just a little panic among the general populace. Um, oh, sorry, <laughs> I lost my place. Uh, so in response to this, uh, the government of Victoria did two things. First, uh, they put a reward of 2,000 pounds on the Kelly gang, which I believe is which in the ballpark a, of 300 grand. That's, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but they did supposedly just kill three police officers. So there's that. The second thing they did was maybe... Um, a little more what you'd expect from government officials. Uh, they passed something called the Felons Apprehension Act, which basically said that if someone found the Kelly gang or someone that was suspected to have been working with the Kelly gang, they could kill them on the spot with no consequences. Ah, imperial law. Love to hear it. Yeah. The other thing that the Felons Apprehension Act did was they made it a crime to aid the Kelly gang in any way, shape, or form. And if you were have found to have given them aid or were offering them aid or anything along those lines, you could be arrested and imprisoned with or without hard labor for a time not exceeding 15. Years. Oh, well, thank God. We don't want them to be there for too long. I know, right? And I, I guess I should specifically say the Felons Apprehension Act was directed at quote unquote outlaws. It's not like it was like, oh, this is specifically for the Kelly gang, only Kelly gang. It was aimed at just outlaws in general, but the Kelly gang are outlaws, so, you know, it applies to them too. But it was like this big sweeping deal to try and, like, bleed the bushrangers and criminals dry of any sympathizers that might think it was a good idea to help them. Though, this didn't really have the effect the government was hoping for, because if anything, it made people want to rally and support Ned Kelly even more. Like, it opened a lot of people's eyes to just 
how corrupt the police could be and almost added more fuel to the folklore fire that was Ned Kelly because this was the man fighting the tyranny of the corrupt police and the government. Like, the police are going around rounding people up and imprisoning them with no evidence. They're just like, oh, we, we, we know that you were once friends with Ned Kelly. We think you might be helping Ned Kelly, so we're just going to put you in jail. We're just going to lock you up with no proof. Just whatever. So, didn't really help much. And to further the idea that the police were just wildly abusing their power, uh, Ned Kelly would prepare this 53-page letter. And it's called the Gerald Derry Letter. And in this letter, Ned Kelly basically tries to, like, justify his life up until this point uh and this is like the letter where we get ned's side of the story for uh the police murders at stringy bark creek that's how we know what he was thinking and you know his side of the story uh he also says that he had received information that the police had been gloating that they were like, yo, we're not even going to give this guy a chance like we're not going to give him a chance to surrender when we see him we're, we're, we're just going to start shooting. We're just going to start blasting. No way. So so the letter is where we got all of our Ned's side of the story stuff from earlier. Yes. Yes. You yes, know, yes, I, yes. I feel like if he was a, like a bush ranger and all that kind of stuff, he would kind of lean more into the like, yeah, I'm someone to be feared kind of kind of thing and not yeah. try to justify his actions. Well, maybe. But he's also an outlaw. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess it depends. Like it, it to me, it, it adds more credence to mm-hmm. the fact that his story might be more true because I feel like he would just do more of like a yeah, you better watch out for me kind of thing instead. <laughs> true, true. Uh, he also mentions that the police looked like they were way too heavily armed to just peacefully arrest him. Um, but as not to ramble on about it for too long because it's a fifty-three page letter. Uh, it's basically a letter saying that the reason he took to bushranging and the outlaw life is because of the abuse and the harassment that he and his family suffered at the hands of the police, and that such abuse basically, it, it forced his hand. He had to become a renegade. He had to become an outlaw. And uh, there's there's this one line that I, I have to share. I have to, I have to quote because uh, it is probably one of the most brutal savage ways to describe the victorian police ever uh, he says that the victorian per- police are i quote a parcel of big ugly fat-necked wombat-headed big-bellied magpie-legged narrow-hipped splaw-footed sons of irish bailiffs or english landlords okay <laughs> there, there is there is a a video of low tier god oh no complaining about about oh, no. boogie, about boogie 2988 oh. and and it is <laughs> the double whammy it just starts off with him being like i'm trying to look for a workout video and this lard eating salad dodging part bus <laughs> planet uh kirby looking son of a bitch it, like just it's like a strange Dr. Robotnik looking planet. Wow. It just goes on and Damn. on. And that this is... sounds exactly like this letter. Yes, it's very close to the way he, he thought of the Victorian police. 
What's that? What's that? Um, what's that? That gif of that guy writing uh, with the quill and like the the fire is burning the paper. Oh, I I don't think I've seen that one, but it. it he's, the, the man's he's writing, writing the straight bars. fire. He's writing. He's uh, yeah. writing bars. Yeah, he's writing bars. And uh, the reason it's called the Gerald Derry letter is because they were raiding a town called Gerald Derry when they took over and robbed the bank. And he would demand that a bank accountant named Edwin Living make sure that this letter he had written, you make sure it gets published and you make sure the public sees it. Uh, and if it doesn't get printed, boy, next time I see you, I'm gonna, mm, it better be printed. And somewhat surprisingly, Edwin didn't do that. Instead, he just got the hell out of Dodge and reported everything that happened to the police and turned over the letter to them, which they obviously did not want published. Um, several copies of it were made, and somehow a basic summary of the letter was actually published shortly after, but the entirety of the Gerald Derry letter wasn't published until, like, the 1930s. So, things are getting a little crazy with Ned Kelly and his gang. Uh, they seem to be just nigh unstoppable, and public opinion really high on them, actually. Like, there are... Kelly sympathizers everywhere that are constantly aiding them, helping them. They want to make sure that the Kelly gang thwarts the oppressive authorities. Uh, it's even gotten to the point where the total reward for their capture, dead or alive, was up to 8,000 pounds. That's over a million dollars by today's uh, standard. You know, I like, like me and Shai said already, you know, we turn you in. Wow. Well, a million dollars is a lot of money, though. Yeah, sure. that's I, a lot. That, that I, is. That's a I lot. would turn either one of you in for for over a million dollars. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would judge you as a friend if you wouldn't turn me in for a million dollars. Yeah. Anyway, you you, you believe we're lying, so then we'd be yeah. lying to you. Yep. Yep. Uh, police would actually start to attempt to use. Uh, these sympathizers against the Kelly gang. Specifically, they'd start to like keep a lookout on the areas that their relatives and that their friends hung out in. Um, like uh, specifically, uh, they were using. Uh, so one of the Kelly gang members is named Joe Byrne, and the police were keeping a heavy eye on Joe Byrne's uh, mother's home. Uh, more specifically, they were using uh, his neighbor's house as sort of like this uh, lookout point, you know, sort of a base of operations, which was even crazier because Burns' neighbor, a man named Aaron Sherritt, uh, was a man that used to run with the Greta mob, and he was like a lifelong friend of Joe Byrne. But to police, well, they were paying him, and he was like, yeah, sure, use my house. I'll give you whatever information I can on, on the Kelly gang. He w- he was being a stool pigeon. It's just he was he was he was snitching out his friends. Wait, what is a stool pigeon? It's a stool pigeon. You know, he's a, he's a stoolie. You know, the old days, a stool pigeon is a, is a rat. I've I've never heard a stool. What is that phrase? It's gotta be. For, I think I must have heard it from like old, like uh, maybe like Dick Tracy era detective uh, films. Yes. I, I, does it hey, he's a stool pigeon. He's chirping like a stool pigeon. I think, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah You ain't from the streets <laughs> like DK and I, Bricky. <laughs> God damn, yeah, those Hawaiian ass streets. <laughs> yeah. 
the mean streets of Hawaii, Kai, baby. I mean, he's not he's not wrong. I'm born and born and bred OC. <laughs> I, I am the farthest from the streets. But naturally, anyway. nobody took this news very well because pretty much everybody that knew uh, Aaron Sherritt was like, dude. You're gonna get yourself killed doing that. Like you're you're trying to rat out the Kelly gang. Are you crazy? Everybody loves them. What is wrong with you? And even with everyone telling Aaron Sherritt that he needed to stop working with the police, stop giving them information, get out of here as soon as you can. He kept taking the police's money and he kept working with the police. Now, there is some debate as to if Sherritt was actually giving the police, like, accurate information. A lot of people were thinking that he was, like, you know, sort of a, a, a double agent, you know, where he was giving them false information. Information so that they could never capture uh, Ned or the Kelly gang. Like, people assume that Aaron Sherritt was like, well, I am super screwing the police because not only am I taking their money... I'm giving them the worst information. Pot. They can't do anything with this. So whatever. This is, you know, this is win-win for me. And if I'm not mistaken, the police were also ridiculously skeptical of the information they were getting from Aaron Sherritt. But they didn't care. If they were getting fake news, it doesn't matter because everybody knew that Aaron Sherritt was in bed with them. So even if his information was just a bunch of baloney at some point the kelly gang was going to show up at their doorstep because boy we need to shut sherrit up now and they were kind of right uh because the kelly gang did decide that they were going to kill aaron sherrit but they decided to do it as part of a much larger sort of chaotic plan like uh like make it big and chaotic to show that they're not they weren't the ones or uh no Th- this plan involved everybody knowing full damn well that the Kelly gang mercilessly killed Sherrod in cold blood okay well this this uh, doesn't bode as well for his ori- original letter <laughs> yeah not so much um, so they figured they would kill Sherritt basically right in front of the police's nose and make absolutely no mistake about it being them. And the way they saw it going was after hearing, uh, you know, after hearing about their just cold-blooded murder, uh, the police would have to send in, uh, just this large force uh, of police officers specifically they'd have to send in this like special police train full of officers to deal with the problem and that train would have to make a pit stop in a place called Banala to add even more police presence and force the Kelly gang knowing this would be the response would get ahead of this special sort of police train in a place called Glen Rowan. And they would damage the railroad tracks, and this train would derail and crash. They could then easily loot the train, kill anyone who survived the crash, then they could continue to Banala, where they would have no police presence. All the police from Banala would be, or at least a majority of the police, would be dead or injured on the train. 
They were going to go to Banala and just raise hell. Like they wanted to free every prisoner that was there. They wanted to rob the banks, ravage the police stations, and burn down the courthouses. They wanted to go full bloody corn on Banala. But first, they needed to kill Aaron Sherritt. So there are four police officers in the house with Sherritt. Uh, because everybody knows that at some point someone will go and try something, so Sherritt needs protection. So Kelly Gang needs to be a little careful, because one wrong move, and whoops, four police officers just gunned your ass down. So, they kidnap one of Sherritt's neighbors, another just lifelong friend. He's, he's, he's known Sherritt his whole life. He's a man named Anton Wick. And they forced Anton Wick to knock at the back door and sort of call out to Sherritt, like, hey, buddy, it's uh, it's your old pal Anton, and I'm a little lost. I need some help. I need some direction. Could you, uh, could you help me out? And Sherritt recognizes the voice, and he's like, oh, that's, that's my good buddy Anton. That's, that's Anton. You, hey, hey, police, don't worry. That's, that's a friend. I've known him my whole life. Don't, don't even worry about it. So, uh, Sherritt goes to the door by himself, and uh, he opens the door, and as soon as Aaron Sherritt opens that door, Joe Byrne pops out of the bushes and proceeds to shoot Sherritt in the neck and stomach with a shotgun! Wow, they, they did the, the classic, uh, that's twice now they've done the come to the, 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 uh, the door type thing. Yeah. There's there's no kill like overkill. Like, you got a shotgun. I think the next shot was enough. But hey, let's blast him in the stomach, too. Because, you know, double tap, right? That's the first rule of the zombie apocalypse. Hey, you know, the, the first shot could have been in the stomach and the second in the neck. You know, you, know, uh, you never know. True, 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 true. Uh, but the police that are that are actually in the home are taken totally by surprise. And so instead of trying to like force a gunfight or something, they all just kind of huddle up and hide in a bedroom with Aaron Sherritt's, I think his wife. Uh, and they just kind of wait for the Kelly gang to leave. Uh, and the Kelly gang actually stayed outside the house, just kind of shouting and hollering at the police. They're like threatening to burn the house down if they don't come out and just being like really loud and just like, we're going to get you. And after about two hours, the Kelly gang finally leaves and they let Anton go completely unharmed. And so now they make their way to Glen Rowan. They're, they're, they're ahead of the police. They're going to Glen Rowan. Uh, the police in the house, however, they stayed there until the next morning uh, because they weren't sure. They're like, well, the Kelly gang could still be out there. Sympathizers are everywhere. I don't know. Maybe they even hired some outlaw mercenaries to just sit and wait for us so they can ambush us. So they are there throughout the night and until the next morning. And for anybody that's wondering, like a timetable, this is June 26th, 1880. So. Kelly Gang has quite the head start on the police and uh, are in Glen Rowan now attempting to sabotage the railroad tracks enough to derail a police train. I think it was specifically Ned and Steve Hart that were trying to like, I, I don't know how I imagine this, but they were trying to like damage the railroad tracks themselves. And I just imagine them trying to like take a little hammer to the railroad tracks and be like, damn it. <laughs> Just not not like any kind of, of explosives. You just think they were all like, ee, 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 ee. yeah, because they couldn't do it. Like they, they were trying to damage these tracks and they couldn't do it. 
Um, so it's not, they weren't using explosives or anything. I imagine they were just like, well, let's get a, a big hammer and, and they couldn't do it. The DK um, does not have particularly good feelings on the Kelly gang and their, and their, their <laughs> ability to, to break the stuff. Well, they, they literally had to force and kidnap a bunch of plate layers in the area to come and do it for them. So I don't I don't know what I imagine they tried to do. But yeah, they at gunpoint they made a bunch of plate layers do it for them. And naturally they picked like this deep curved section of the railroad cuz if you're going at normal speed on a train and you take the curve and there's no tracks, boom, you're going to you're going to roll like a log. Um there was one other key preparation that they had to make. It was sort of their ace in the hole and I was gonna not tell you about what it was until they actually used it but shy's already kind of showed you the the infamous picture of him in the armor uh yep. so they do actually fashion it is the most iconic part it would be kind of hard to hold that off until now i guess but yeah so they actually fashion this armor out of uh old plow blades uh old blades that are used for like those big plow machines in the farms oh that's uh, what they use for it okay yep Yep, yep, and they fashion uh, the helmet, the chest plate, uh, there's some, I think there's also some on the arms, there's a little bit of a skirt on it too, um, and this armor actually weighs like a hundred pounds. Oh, it is oh, hefty man. armor, that is big, hefty, hefty armor. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll talk more about it uh, in a little bit. Anyway, so Ned Kelly and his gang are waiting in Glen Rowan, and basically, they take almost the entire town hostage. Like, they go door-to-door at gunpoint and ferry almost all of the townsfolk into the Glen Rowan Inn, where they will hopefully remain until the police train is derailed. Okay, a little... You know, Mr. (laughs) Kelly has... has, uh... Uh, you could say gone off the rails ah! a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess he's off track a little bit. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but the train never came that morning of June 27th. But they were like, you know, okay, fine. They were a little, they were a little off schedule, whatever. But at some point today or in the afternoon, that train's going to show up. But by the afternoon, the train was still nowhere to be seen. So for the whole day, Ned and the Kelly gang kept watch over some, like, 60-odd prisoners at the Glen Rowan Inn, and still, no special police train! Uh, Several sources in documentary state, at this point, you know, it would have been prudent for the Kelly gang to just be like, you know what... This didn't go the way we planned. Let's just let's just go back to one of our hidden bases, plan something else, and just you know this 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 isn't worth it anymore. Cut we the gotta, losses. Yeah, cut your losses. Live to fight another day. But they didn't. They stayed at the Glen Rowan Inn and were actually they started treating the prisoners pretty well. Like there were reports that at the Glen Rowan Inn, everybody was dancing, singing, drinking. They were playing card games, and it kind of, it kind of devolved into a party. Um, and if you're wondering why the train was so late, it's apparently because the murder of Sherritt hadn't been reported for like 
way longer than anybody initially thought, like several more hours. And I'm not sure if that's because the police who were the eyewitnesses stayed hidden until the next morning since they were afraid of the Kelly gang or if it was just general ineptitude or, I don't know, maybe a little of both. But word of the murder wasn't reported until much, much later than what the Kelly gang assumed. So now we are on the 27th. And, you know, Ned is just like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to let some of the hostages go. Like, I think around 20 or so of the hostages and they were hostages that Ned had become friendly with. They've been drinking. They've been partying. Bro, I can trust you guys. You're not going to do anything stupid. You know, we're really the good guys here. So it is what it is. And so that night rolls around and there's still no train. There's still no damn train. And Ned still has some hostages, and he's like, you know what, all right. Uh, there's this hostage. His name is Thomas Kerno, and he had earlier helped Ned, earlier in the day, he, he helped Ned capture the Glen Rowan constable who was still kind of roaming around trying to thwart Ned. And Ned was like, you know what, if, you're, if you help me capture the constable, bro, I can trust you. I can 100% trust you. So Ned's like, all right, look, Thomas, you go home with your wife, get a good night's sleep, come back in the morning, but, you know, just just be quiet. Like, I don't even want you to dream too loud. Like, he specifically is like, be quiet, don't dream too loud, because your house is kind of near those train tracks. Little did Ned realize that this whole time, Thomas was playing him for a fool, slowly gaining his trust little by little so he could be afforded the chance he had now. And instead of going home and going to sleep... Thomas got himself a lantern and a red scarf that he could use to wave down the police train and warn them of the Kelly gang's plan. And that is just what he did. Ah, uh, he's got the pigeon on the stand. He's the stool pigeon! Stool pigeon, that's right, thank you. He's got <laughs> the, the stool pigeon. Pigeon on the stand. He, he's the pigeon. He's a sparrow the in the seat. He's a Yeah, sure, man. You you got it. You know just how, yeah, you got that phrase on lockdown, dude. Good job. I know I'm, how it be. I'm so proud of you. Uh, on the early morning of July 28th, Thomas did indeed find the broken and beaten up parts of the tracks, went ahead of it, waited for the police train, and did signal it down because it was now finally on its way to Glen Rowan. Uh, he warned the police of what was waiting for them and that the tracks ahead were broken. And after that, I've heard two different scenarios on what happened next. It seems like, I don't know. Some sources say the train proceeded on the tracks, but they did it really slowly and really carefully and were able to still cross the broken tracks and pull into the Glen Rowan station. Um, and then the constable told them what was happening because he escaped. Uh, and then uh, they would just sort of go in and surround the Glen Rowan Inn. Other sources say that once the train stopped... All of the officers on board got off the train and then made their way into Glen Rowan on foot. Constable fills them in on the details and, oh, let's surround Glen Rowan. Uh, I would imagine there's no way that a train is going to be like, oh, yeah, let's just very cautiously go over broken tracks. I, I kind of side with the, okay, let's all just get off the train and walk into Glen Rowan idea. 
I don't I don't know how you feel about it, but yeah, I don't know. I I just don't see a train being like, oh yeah, tracks are broken. Let's just carefully go over them. Yeah, no, absolutely not. As far as I'm concerned, the, the it's like, oh yeah, there's, there's a slight chip in the helicopter blade. We'll be fine. Like, no, any, <laughs> any tiny little bit of that stuff. It's like, no, all right, yeah, shut it yeah. down. Uh, but regardless, realizing that their plan had backfired and that they were now surrounded, uh, the Kelly gang donned their ace in the hole. They put on their armor. And they were prepared uh, to meet their their uh, surrounders. This is straight and, up just a video game level. This is like this is like the final fight of, of <laughs> a game where you just everyone puts on their their damn hyper armor. You didn't you didn't play Modern Warfare, but the last mm-hmm. mission of of the original MW three, you both just put on giant ass armor and storm a hotel, and it's like got this got yep. the same gusto to it. Yep. And uh, and and the reason, well, it's true that is what it is historically known as shy. But he doesn't know that yet, although it's pretty obvious. But anyway, um, but what I wanted to say about the armor was uh, the reason Ned Kelly specifically made this armor or had the idea for it is because like he had been in so many shootouts and. There were so many times where he felt that, like, police officers were just, like, shooting him on sight that he was like, look, with all these shootouts, I'm I'm going to need better protection. Like, I can't. I'm not the bullet dodger, Avi. So, you know, he needs, uh, that, he needs no, the no, protection. No. Back up. Back up. I, I, I need to appreciate the Snatch reference. I, I yes. love that film. I absolutely I love that film. I haven't seen it in so long, but I was like, he dodges bullets, have Because he dodges bullets. He says it very, very frighteningly. Yeah. But so, yeah, that's why he felt like he needed to make the armor because there's just so many damn shootouts. Like, I need I need this. So with their trusty suit of armor on, the gunfight began between this massive police force and the Kelly gang at the Glen Rowan Inn in the glow of the moonlight. Uh, it's also worth noting that you got to remember what kind of state the Kelly gang are in at this point. They are sleep deprived, they're drunk, and they're going to be heaving around 100 pound armor. It is an uphill battle to say the least. And there's only four of them. So at some point when the fighting was maybe, there was like a lull in the fighting, fighting wasn't quite as. The two sides agreed to a minor ceasefire just so that the women and children hostages were allowed to escape to safety. Oh, back back when people would do that stuff. Yeah, I know. Uh, the Kelly gang were basically kind of out on the inn sort of front porch area in their armor, just, just blasting at the police that were kind of just surrounding the area. And despite having the armor, which actually did quite well at protecting them from, like, really fatal gunshot wounds, it still wasn't completely invincible. Like, Ned still suffered wounds to his, I think it was his right elbow and his right foot. Uh, Joe Byrne actually had been killed. He was fatally shot through the groin and then just bled to death uh, while he was making a final toast to the gang at the bar. Uh, well, most- looking at the um, looking at the armor, there wasn't much protection in the in the legs and stuff, anyway. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, most of the hostages had escaped at this point. They kind of were told, "Hey, lay low and look for your chance to get out." Um, though there were three civilian casualties that had died in the crossfire with the police, and unfortunately, I think one of them was a twelve or thirteen year old boy, which is unfortunate. Yeesh. Ouch. 
Yeah, yep. And uh, as as the fighting got fierce, Ned Kelly was just like, okay, look, it's it's time for me to get out of here. I'm retreating out the back, and, uh, you know, hopefully my boys follow me. And I've seen a couple sources say that he was like, oh, yeah, you know, Dan and Steve are going to follow behind me. Uh, everything's going to be fine. You know, we got to get out of here. I've already lost Joe. I don't want to, you know. Um, but unfortunately, Dan and Steve never followed him. They actually stayed in the inn and continued to exchange gunfire uh, with the police. And as Ned laid bleeding and exhausted in the brush behind the Glen Rowan inn, he knew that he, I, I can't just abandon De- at Dan and Steve. They're, they're my boys. One of them's my brother. The other one's my good friend. So using the brush and forest as cover... He had a pistol in each hand, and he manages to actually get behind the police force line, and he starts just opening fire. Like, he just goes in, bam, bam, bam. And Ned Kelly, at this point, was a proper terror to the police. Like, no matter how much they shot at him, he wouldn't go down. All they hear is, ping, ping, ping. And in the bright glow of the moonlight, the police literally thought he was a monster. They thought he was a devil or even like this mythical creature called a bunyip, which is apparently like some kind of Australian folklore evil spirit. Um, so, so, they, so the man is the man is literally like deflecting bullets. They're just like, he can't die. He, won't he can't die. be beaten. Oh, my God. Yeah, because all they hear is the ping, ping. And he's just he keeps coming at him. He just keeps coming and, and, and he don't stop coming and they don't stop coming. And as mythical and mighty as Ned may have seemed, there was one fatal flaw with the armor that you pointed out when you saw uh, the display of it. The whole point of the armor when they made it was not only because like, oh, yeah, we need more protection, but they also it was made so that slaughtering the officers on the derail train would be a lot easier. The train would have been tipped over and they were going to approach from like a hill or like an elevated area. And it was going to be an angle where like anybody that was still alive on the train wouldn't be able to shoot their legs or get a shot at their legs anyway. And it would have thrown off their mobility. So it was like, hey, we, we don't need any leg armor. It'll be fine. It's better this way. And a man named Sergeant Arthur Steele realized this and fired his shotgun twice into Ned's unprotected legs, instantly downing him where he fell onto like this large cut down tree trunk. Ah, uh, and then getting shot in like the 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 quad i'm assuming and really kind of yeah, yeah that's, yep. that, that that'll that'll be that's already really bad now but back then that's that's really Oof. bad yeah and before any of the other officers could fire a killing blow it would be that constable that had been taken hostage earlier the one that thomas kernho had gotten so many trust points for helping capture uh like i said he had managed to escape and he would tell all the other officers whoa 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 hold your fire don't kill him We're taking him in alive. We're taking this guy in uh, alive. Uh, And as a quick little side note, remember that green sash that Ned received for saving the young boy near the beginning of the episode? Yeah. When I said he cherished that for the rest of his life, I was not kidding. He was literally wearing that same sash under his armor. Oh, this this is like a... 
This is like a like a like a the hero's journey stories through and through, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And not only was that sash recovered, but it is still to this day on display at the Banala Pioneer and Costume Museum for any and all to see. The man, the man saved a kid from drowning and 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 wore it in a, in his valiant last stand in a police shootout. It's so that's so baller. Yep, yep, and there it is. It's obviously a little worse for wear now because you know it's it's been like a hundred and some odd years, but it is still on display and anybody can go see it. So, with all the hostages now free uh, from the inn and the body of Burn recovered, uh, Dan and Steve still just they refuse to give themselves up. And so uh, the police, they set fire to the Glen Rowan Inn. And it's unsure of how exactly Dan and Steve died, because nobody's sure whether they took their own lives or if the fire got them. But their remains, their charred remains, weren't recovered until the inn finally burned to the ground. Uh, well. Ned's wounds, some 28 different wounds, were treated at the railroad station before he was transported to Banala with the body of Joe Byrne. Well, shit. Yeah. And in a rather morbid display, the police tied up the body of Joe Byrne to a door at the Banala police station to be photographed by the press. And historically, this would be the first press photo shoot in Australian history. What an asshole photo shoot. Yeah. Uh, I just, I imagine that they thought they were like, oh yeah, look what happens when you cross the police. Oh, look what happens when you lead a life of, of bush ranging and, and, and thievery and horse theft and, and murdering police officers. This is what you have to look forward to. I, I imagine uh, that's what they thought they were going to do. Um, and also, I believe they never turned the body of Joe Byrne over uh, because they were afraid <laughs> they, that they didn't if, give it back uh, to the family. No, they didn't because they were afraid that a funeral would be too much of a rallying cry for uh, Kelly gang sympathizers or bush rangers. So, they, oh man! So I think they. I think he's in an unmarked grave. God. Oh God. All right. The the. Police. No wonder this is considered. This guy is considered like a like an urban legend and stuff like that. The well, that's the Joe police, Burns. Yeah. Well, no, no, I know that, but like, no wonder the general story of of um of Kelly is like this because the police suck oh, yeah. in this. Oh yeah, the police are awful. They're corrupt. They're being bribed by the squatography. Yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, Ned's infamous armor was also recovered and is currently on display at the State Library of Victoria in Melbourne. Like, you can legit go inside, and it's in, like, this big glass display case that you saw where you can see all of the dents from the bullets that struck the armor, which, if you look at the helmet, there's a lot of dents in that thing. (laughs) Like, that armor saved his ass, like, look yeah. at all the headshots that that saved him from. Yeah, he got he got hit a lot. Yeah, he got... Sheesh. Uh, but Ned Kelly would be taken to the Supreme Court in Melbourne to stand trial for his crimes after his wounds were treated and he recovered in the jail hospital in Banala. 
And the trial would be kind of a sham because the judge that oversaw the trial was actually the same judge who sentenced his mother to three years in prison with hard labor a while back, a man named Sir Redmond Barry. And of course, gee whiz, the judge was a corrupt pile of shit. Oh, man. Granted, it doesn't surprise me that Ned would have gone time regardless. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah, and Ned's barrister was also a fairly new barrister that didn't have a lot of experience and really couldn't defend Ned for anything. It was bad. He was he was new. He was green, and it was just it was such a sham. And the only real witness they had against him uh, was McIntyre, the one officer that survived the encounter with the Kelly gang at Stringy Bark Creek. So McIntyre gives this damning testimony against Ned for being a cold-blooded killer, and everybody's sure that McIntyre is just lying through his teeth. But, I mean, anybody that would have defended Ned is, you know, dead at Glen Rowan. So, (laughs) yeah, so Ned Kelly is sentenced to death by hanging, and on November 11th, Ned would indeed be hanged until he was dead, with his final words being "such is life." Okay, but, I was, I was, damn it, I was kind of hoping it would be like eat shit or something yeah, like that. But I, I would prefer to leave you with this line from Ned Kelly. This other line from Ned Kelly instead. It was after, uh, so Ned Kelly was being sentenced by Redmond Barry, and he was like, "You, I sentence you to death, and may God have mercy on your soul." To which Ned responded. I will go a little further than that and say, I will see you there where I go. Oh, uh, so he basically said, I'll see you in hell. I'll see you in hell, you corrupt pile of shit. I'll see you in hell. And uh, I I believe after he was executed, his remains were just put in like a mass grave for people that got executed. Uh, and it wasn't until much later that somehow they actually found his remains in this, like, mass grave. And they were like, well, I guess these are Ned Kelly's bones. And I think they actually did get returned to his heirs. So Ned Kelly's remains actually got back to his bloodline. Oh, how okay. Well, that's good. Better than, than the other guy. Yeah, poor Joe Byrne. And that is... Uh, you know, oh, that's right. Um, so Sir Redmond Barry, uh, he actually died of natural causes. I think it was like eleven days after sentencing, um, after sentencing Ned Kelly. So I think Ned Kelly outsurvived the judge that sentenced him. Well, that's he must have gone away with a smug face, be like, a see you in hell indeed. Indeed. And Redmond Bear's like, well, I'll save you a seed, my friend. <laughs> All so, right. Yeah, that's that's what I've got on Ned Kelly. A little I, bit of I, a long I, one, but man, he was a badass. I see why people like him. He he was certainly a um I, 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 wait, I just realized that the image that Shai posted is basically the soy jack and Chad meme. But like <laughs> Like, look, look at the face of the constable. He's so wiry. <laughs> he really is. And that, God, those helmets, the way they wear them. I guess it's because that constable has no chin. But he just looks so ridiculous with it, like, cutting into his mustache. It's just like, bruh. Just, that's, re- 
That's really funny, though. Yep, but that's that's Ned Kelly. It was it was a long one. It was a doozy, but like there's so many details that you can't just gloss over with Ned Kelly, like to really understand like why that final shootout was like such a big deal. It's like, well, you kind of have to have all this other stuff. And so, yeah, it's kind of neat, too, because it's it's basically feels like a, a hero's journey story, but it's about like an Australian outlaw. And it's, Fighting it's, the man, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, obviously, we got a whole lot of other like crazier, um, you know, like fiction writing. But for what for what he did in like the real world is actually pretty goddamn crazy. Yeah. So uh, the the only thing is, a lot of people are like, well, like, how accurate are these stories? How how much have they been embellished? And like, was he really just? a common thief and it got embellished as a man fighting the power or was he actually like this big legend that was larger than life and and fighting the good fight that's where a lot of people are like well which how 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 much do we straddle this line right right so yeah well that's that's the only debate about ne- to me he sounds like an absolute chad uh, he sounds like a badass I, to me, he sounds he sounds like a pretty cool guy. The more yeah. and more I learn about the police, the more I'm like, I'm on Kelly's side. And as you can imagine, uh, all of these areas like this around Stringy Bark Creek, around Glen Rowan, huge tourist attraction in Australia now. Huge. Like there are statues of him. The 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 spot where he got shot down has a big plaque on it. Uh, they rebuilt the Glen Rowan station so you could see where his injuries were uh, tended. It is, it's huge. That area is rife with tourism uh, for anything Ned Kelly related. There's even a whiskey called, um, uh, it's an Australian reserve whiskey that's called Ned's Green Sash. Oh, that's good. I, yeah. I, I really also, I enjoy the... Um I enjoy the humor also because if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Australia a prison, prison, a a <laughs> British prison colony, basically, uh, or, I don't or something know. along those lines? I I, I, I thought I it believe was some, it. I thought it was something like that. Like it started off that way, kind of like the like the Terrans in Starcraft, and then it became more. <laughs> Um, another starcraft reference another Starcraft reference. how but, do you uh, keep getting these things in there uh but like it makes in a sense it would make even more sense why the group would appreciate ned as opposed to the the cops oh for sure uh <laughs> i looked upon ned kelly as an extraordinary man there's no man in the world like him he is superhuman said aaron sherrod who sold out ned kelly and got killed by his gang <laughs> that's that's that yep but yeah Oh man, this almost went two hours. I was Jesus I'm, Christ. I'm glad I got it under two hours because that was twelve pages of script. Sheesh. Sheesh. So, yeah. Take 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 us home. I won't be talking for the rest of the day. My voice is worn out. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, to all of our fans and especially to our Aussies out there, thank you very <laughs> much for watching. I hope you you enjoyed DK's great retelling of the infamous famous uh, ned kelly one of uh, those one of them yeah yeah all right and uh wait i leave you with this message reach out for the officer's gun <laughs> <laughs>